You know, everyone gets their authority for what to believe from somewhere. Where do you get yours? And can you prove that it's reliable? The Bible is more provably true than you might think. We're going to take a look. Welcome to Culture Shift, The Barry Ferris Show. We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. But it's not too late. I hope to equip you with a historical framework applied to current events so you can lead and get America back on track for good. Hey, welcome back to The Barry Ferris Show, Culture Shift. You know, everyone gets their authority for what they believe from somewhere. I've claimed that I get my authority for what I believe from the Bible. But can I prove that it's a reliable source? The Bible's more provably true than you might think. We're going to take a look in this show. You know, there's studies out there that show that 60% of Christians after age 15 disconnect from church life for an extended period of time, and some do it permanently. And with only 2% of millennials believing that the Bible is a reliable source of information to shape their worldview, that statistic kind of makes sense. So if you're a millennial, or any age, really, why should you believe otherwise? I mean, what's the rationale for believing the Bible is a reliable source of information and therefore worthy of shaping your worldview? Well, for starters, there actually is some logic. I mean, if there really is a God, it makes sense that he would speak to us. If he is who the Bible says he is, um, all-powerful, all-knowing, and transcends our three dimensions of living and is deserving of our worship, then it seems logical that he would inform us about himself. I mean, all the animals have the capability of communicating, so since humans can do so with some degree of sophistication, it would follow that God, a higher being, would be able to communicate with us effectively. You know, the Bible speaks about restoration and redemption, and, and since even nature reflects healing and restoration, it'd be likely that a loving God would provide the way for the human soul to find redemption. And there's also some facts about the Bible itself that speak to its credibility and reliability. I mean, there's very few books that survive 25 years, a smaller percentage for 100 years, and an even smaller percentage of those books survive for 1,000 years. The Bible has been around for thousands of years in the same form. And this is despite the attempt of folks like Diocletian to burn every single Bible in 303 AD and a whole bunch of other dictators after him. It's true in spite of the attempt of the church to keep the Bible from laymen throughout the Middle Ages, that it survived. There's been a constant attempt to degrade and destroy the Bible. I mean, people like Voltaire predicted that Christianity would be entirely extinct within a hundred years of his death. He died in 1778. I think Christianity has well outlived Voltaire. The Bible possesses character like no other book. I mean, its content depicts the reality of our situation, the unity of God, the way to salvation, the future, the past, and the present. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years, not by one author like you find in many of the other religions. But this faith is unique. The Bible was written by 40 different authors over a 1,600-year period, and yet it still possesses a consistent doctrine, the same morals, and a direct way of salvation. The Bible's impact on the world is also hard to ignore. I mean, the Bible has resulted in the highest standards of, all, of living in all walks of life. I mean, it's had more impact on the world than any other book, bar none. 
It's just a historical fact. I mean, the Bible was referenced in the political struggle to end slavery. It was referenced to bring equality for women. Uh, it was referenced to treat employees in a fair manner, to provide due process for a potential criminal. You know, the Bible is referenced when people speak of total forgiveness or expansive grace or unconditional love. The Bible is referenced when describing ways that people's lives can be changed and that freedom principles are established for how people should not control other people. The Bible makes strong claims of its power to transform lives. In fact, the Bible claims that it's the revelation of God and has the power to transform lives in the Old Testament. You know, there's 3,800 claims like for the Lord speaks, Isaiah 1, 2. He who relies on it will do well on the Bible. According to Psalm 1, you'll be like this tree firmly planted or like Psalm 119, all kinds of blessings for those who rely on the Bible. The Bible claims that the word of God is true and has the power to transform lives in the New Testament as well. There are over 150 veracity and life transforming claims, such as Hebrews 4 that talks about the Bible having a sharp sword component to it, where it can divide between super thin lines like the, the bone marrow and the bone itself and other scriptures that speak to the Bible being authoritative and having a lot of power to transform people's lives. But is the Bible accurate and can it be trusted or is it just a book with helpful sentiments and as some might think, confusing Old Testament stories? I mean, the Bible says of itself that it's authoritative, but there's more than that to bolster your confidence in the Bible. There's this analytical data approach that you can sink your teeth into, and it's even mathematically a sound way to prove that the Bible is in fact genuine and accurate. Now you're familiar with probability theory. For example, the second law of thermodynamics is a pretty reliable theory. We don't think the, that the way heat transfers is gonna reverse itself. In fact, the odds of that happening are so small that we say it's impossible. Yet, there's a chance it could happen. I mean, it's a one chance in 10 to the 87. I mean, that's one over a 10 with 87 zeros past it. Or another way to look at it is there's a 99.9 99 with 87 times percent chance of not reversing itself. So we accept that theory as a law. I mean, at some point you can quantify with certainty. Probability theory though is used in all kinds of things, statistics, science, finance, artificial intelligence, machine learning, philosophy. Uh, the largest mathematical number that we've ever uh, come up with naming is a Googleplex. It's a one followed by a hundred zeros. So with that in mind, let's look at what has been predicted in the Bible in light of probability theory. You know, there are over 2,500 prophecies, things that have been foretold in the Bible, and that 2,000 of them have come to pass. That's right. I mean, 2,000 have come to pass already. So what's the probability of that happening? Well, the most conservative way to calculate the probability of all 2,000 prophecies coming true is a 1 in 10 to the 2,000 chance, or a 99.9999 with 2,000 zeros percent chance of being true. So you can see that applying probability theory to whether or not the Bible is reliable in light of its predictions coming true is actually more reliably true than the second law of thermodynamics by at least a factor of 23. But it's actually much more than that. And I'm going to give you a couple examples right now. Let's look at a few of these 2,000 predictions that have already come true. Now, before I go through these, I just want to give you permission to give yourself permission to let the facts speak to you. If you feel like you've got some resistance to these facts, you might just ask yourself if you've got some kind of a, an emotional bias against the Bible. 
Maybe it's the way somebody talked about it or the way somebody interpreted it or something that is, it just causes you to either be embarrassed by it or you just don't like it. It's not comfortable for you. I just want to give your, you a chance to just check that bias right now at the door. And I mean, we all have them, especially if you've had a bad experience with somebody. Maybe they, the way they use the Bible, they physically thumped you on the head with it or they spiritually or emotionally did and it, and it, and it impacted you personally. Just give yourself a chance to set that aside for just a bit and, and just give me a chance to, to show you how I believe the Bible is provably credible. So let's look at one prediction by a high-level political official and a man of God, Daniel. This prediction actually has three events bracketed by time. Kind of amazing. Making the probability of guessing this far more remote than we can calculate. And we'll look at that in just a minute. About 500 years before Christ, the prophet Daniel proclaimed when Israel's long-awaited Messiah would begin his public ministry. Now think about that. It would be, according to Daniel, 483 years after a king issued a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You find this unusual prophecy in Daniel 9, 25 and 26. Now, he further predicted that the Messiah would be cut off, killed, and that that event, him being cut off and killed, would take place before a second destruction of Jerusalem. This is 500 years before. I mean, there's a whole bunch of documentation that shows exactly what he said, or we predicted happened. I mean, these prophecies were perfectly fulfilled in the life and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The decree regarding the restoration of Jerusalem was issued by Persia's king Artaxerxes to the Hebrew priest Ezra in 458 BC. And that was, a, that was predicted 483 years before the ministry of Jesus Christ began in Galilee, just like predicted. So Jesus' crucifixion occurs a few years later, and that's just like what was predicted. And then just after that, a few decades later, Titus destroys Jerusalem in the second destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. All of these are clear facts of history. There's not one secular scholar that's to be taken seriously that doesn't agree with these things. You might not agree with the, the resurrection of Jesus, but absolutely those three facts, Jesus' ministry starting, his death, and then the sacking of Jerusalem. So what are the odds that this could be predicted 500 years before it happened. Well, secular research scientists give us a method to do a very conservative probability. Since the Messiah's ministry could conceivably begin in any year, we just need to come up with a reasonable number of years into the future from the point in time of the prediction. I mean, you could conservatively say that, hey, and sometime in the next 2,000 years, this prediction could come up. And so if he guessed the year, then you got um, that, you know, that 483 years after King Artaxerxes' decree, well, then you'd say it's a chance, one chance in 2,000. Of course, you could say history's going to last a lot longer than that. Maybe it's more likely to be one in 5,000, but we'll stay with what's more conservative. What are the chances that he'd be killed in a violent death versus die of natural causes? Well, far less than the one in 100 on average get the death penalty or are killed by homicide. And, and what are the chances that he would be killed before the second destruction of Jerusalem? I mean, the chances of even having a second destruction are maybe one in 20. And over a 2,000 year period, the chances of that happening after Jesus is killed are at very best one in two. It's probably more like one in 10. But we'll stay with all the conservative numbers. So the probability of chance fulfillment for this prophecy is one in 2,000 times 100 times 20 times two, which is one chance in 8 million. Now, in our super conservative analysis of all the 2,000 prophecies, we gave this one 
like all the others, just one chance in 10 chance of fulfillment. But the reality is this is alone one in 8 million. So we're not going to spend this whole time in math. Don't worry. We're not going to calculate each one. But let's just look at another prophecy and see how amazing they are. There's 2,000 of these. In about 700 BC, the prophet Micah named the tiny village of Bethlehem as the birthplace of Israel's Messiah. You can find that in Micah 5.2. The fulfillment of this prophecy and the birth of Christ is one of the most widely known and widely celebrated facts in all of history. You can go through the same calculations as in, as in that Daniel prophecy, and I'm not going to do that. But all of the villages that are available at the time, you can conservatively estimate that the chance of getting the right village and one that was not very famous at all to be at least one chance in 100,000. Very conservative. Now, let's look at another. In the 5th century BC, a prophet named Zechariah declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for the price of 30 pieces of silver. It also predicted that this money would be used to buy a burial ground for Jerusalem's poor foreigners. 400 and something years before the events happened, Zechariah, in Zechariah 11, 12 through 13, predicted them. In fact, both Bible scholars and secular historians record that Jesus was betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. That's why Judas Iscariot is so famous. They also agree that the money was used to purchase a potter's field which is used, just as predicted, for the burial of poor aliens, foreigners, immigrants. That's also clearly recorded in the Bible in Matthew 27, 3 through 10. So what are the chances? One chance in a hundred billion, minimum. Are you still not convinced? Well, let's look at another prediction from both King David, 1,000 years before the event, and Zechariah, 500 years before the event. They both predicted that Jesus would die of a horrible death that was not even invented yet called crucifixion. What makes this so amazing is that just like I said, uh, King David um, predicted this 400 years before the Assyrians invented crucifixion. What's also simply astounding is that both of these prophets predicted that um, there would be some detail to how Jesus would die. His body would be pierced and none of his bones would be broken. And that's very unusual in a crucifixion. The normal customary procedure in a crucifixion is to break the legs after a certain period of time so that the guy will die faster. But you can find those predictions in Psalm 22 and 3420 and Zechariah 1210. And again, secular historians and New Testament writers will confirm that this is exactly what happened. In fact, Jesus died on a Roman cross and his extraordinarily quick death eliminated the need for the usual breaking of bones. So they thrust a spear into his side to, the, to verify that he was dead. Now, seriously, what are the chances of making a prediction of a type of death that doesn't even exist upon a person who is predicted to be the Messiah? A one in 10 trillion chance, according to the methodology of secular mathematicians. Do you have the energy for just a couple more? I mean, this one's truly amazing, and I'm psyched by it. You ready? It's kind of mind-boggling, actually. There's a famous prophet named Isaiah, and he made an amazing series of prophecies around 740 BC. He said that a conqueror named Cyrus would destroy seemingly impregnable Babylon and subdue Egypt, along with most of the rest of the known world. 
Isaiah also prophesied that this same man, Cyrus, would let the Jewish exiles go free under his authority, and they wouldn't even have to pay a ransom for it. You can check all this out in Isaiah 44, 45, 45, 13. So here's the amazing piece of the puzzle. Isaiah made his prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And he made this prophecy 180 years before Cyrus became a world conqueror and 80 years before the Jews were taken into exile. There's a one in one quadrillion chance that he could have gotten all of those right. So here's a fun one. It only has a one in a billion chance of happening, so it's not quite as extreme as the previous, but hey, it's still fun. You know, before Babylon was destroyed, before Isaiah and Jeremiah predicted it, um, you can find this in Isaiah. So, so Babylon, this incredible uh, power, the world power at the time, is predicted in Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah 51 to be destroyed. Now, here's the crazy thing. This was a huge, mighty city. I mean, it had a double wall, 330 feet high. And in each part of those two walls, they were 90 feet thick. I mean, unanimous popular opinion at the time is that wall is indestructible. Even so... These two Bible prophets declared it was coming down. It was going to come to shambles. And these prophets further claimed that the ruins would be avoided by travelers and that the city would not be inhabited again and that its stones wouldn't even be moved to use in building materials elsewhere. Can you believe that? Their description is, in fact, the well-documented history of the famous citadel. You can look it up, even on Wikipedia. It's under a bunch of dirt about 53 miles south of Baghdad. Finally, and here's the last one I'm going to hit today. This one's really cool because it was fulfilled not very long ago. Many of you have grandparents who were alive when this prophecy came true. The prophet Jeremiah lived 2,600 years before this prophecy was fulfilled. He prophesied the exact location and construction sequence of Jerusalem's nine suburbs. He referred to the time of this building project as in the time of the last days when Israel had its second rebirth as a nation in the land of Palestine. And you can find this in Jeremiah 31. This rebirth was history in 1948. And the construction of the nine suburbs has gone forward precisely in the locations and in the sequence predicted. What do you think the chances of predicting nine suburbs 2,600 years in advance in a city after it becomes a nation again are? One in a quintillion. That means there's 18 zeros past the one. So if you wanted to be totally objective with just these seven prophecies, you could reasonably say that the Bible is the most accurately supported book ever. My hope is that you'll be blessed by how good and how true God's word is for your soul. It's inspired by God so that you can become complete as a person. God doesn't expect you to become a scholar. He just wants you to know how much he loves you and how his ways are the best ways. And even if you have been disappointed or even deeply wounded along the way by someone who ascribes to the Bible, try not to blame God for that. Remember, he is, and he is who he said he is. He's just, but you know, his mercy is even bigger than his justice, and he is for you, and so am I. The Bible, which is mathematically proven to be true, points to you being truly set free. 
Hey, if you love this stuff, just give us a five-star review and I'll do a follow-up with seven more at some point. To your freedom and God bless you. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryferrisshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Ferris Show on YouTube. See you next time.